There has been much debate over whether the story of Jonah is true or just an allegory. Regardless of your stance, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for our training. Today on Grace Notes, Barbara Sandbeck will begin a series on the book of Jonah. You'll find this to be no fish story, rather one that's alive with lessons that we can learn and apply. So don't miss a single broadcast. I wholeheartedly believe the book of Jonah to be true for several reasons. According to 2 Kings 14.25, Jonah was an accredited prophet who lived during the reign of Jeroboam II of Israel in 793-753 through B.C. The name of his father and his hometown are also given. Jesus himself referred to Jonah in Luke 11.30 as the one who was assigned to the Ninevites. Well, if Jonah had been a fictitious character, it's highly unlikely that any of these facts would have been recorded. The question in people's mind, though, is, did Jonah really live in the belly of a fish for three days? Well, I found that at least one reliable account exists of a man who was swallowed by a sperm whale and later found alive in the whale's stomach. But even more important to consider is the fact that if God created and sustains the universe and raised Christ from the dead, which he did, he surely can make a fish that can safely house Jonah and deliver him up again. So, having said all this, let's get right into the text. Jonah 1, verses 1 and 2 say, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. It doesn't say specifically how the word came to Jonah, but in Old Testament times, God conveyed his thoughts and will to his prophets, either directly or through visions, dreams, and signs in nature. A prophet was someone called by God to call out to others. Jonah was a prophet. God had a message for him to deliver to the evil Ninevites. The text says that Nineveh's wickedness had come up before God. To come up shows the ascent of an outcry. We find this often in Scripture. For example, in Genesis 4.10, the Lord spoke to Cain after he killed his brother and said, Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Exodus 2.23 says that during the Israelites' enslavement by the Egyptians, their cry for help went up to God. In Genesis 19.13, the angels who spoke to Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah said that the outcry to the Lord against its people was so great that he had sent them to destroy it. The word cry here means an anguished shout or yell. Perhaps righteous Lot was praying about this evil, if not him, surely Abraham. The point is, someone was praying. There's no doubt that God hears and responds to the injustices that are done and the cries of his people. Psalm 34, 15 and 17 say, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ear is attentive to their cry. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. Psalm nine twelve says, He does not ignore the cry of the afflicted. Oh, yes, God sees all and knows all. He's sovereign, yet he chooses to act based on prayer. The cry came up, so God's word came down. The Israelites were once again being oppressed, this time by the pagan Assyrians. Though the Israelites had not been worshiping God as they should, they were still his children. He responded when they cried for help, the same way we do for our children, even when they're wayward. 
We too are God's children if we've received Jesus Christ as our Savior. God sees us as righteous because of the blood Jesus shed on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And even though we may step out of God's will at times, we, like Israel, will find that when we cry out to God for help, He will answer, because we are never out of His care. The eyes of God are upon me. He sees everything that I do. was the capital of Assyria. They were long-standing enemies of Israel. In their attacks, they ravaged the countryside and carried away captives, reaping havoc wherever they went. The prophet Nahum had this to say concerning Nineveh in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. 
The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, lashing swords and glittering spears. Many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a harlot, alluring, the mistress of sorceries, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. Well, if the Ninevites were so horrible, then why didn't God just wipe them out? For the same reason he doesn't zap us for our sins. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has concern for the whole world. He wants everyone to have an opportunity to turn to him. He desires to show his mercy and grace to all. But you say, I'm not as bad as they were. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Oh, it's not a matter of deserving. None of us deserves God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are all imprisoned by our sin, unable to change until we accept God's grace. God has a message for all mankind. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you enslaved by your sin? Come to Jesus. Receive His grace. I was in prison Locked up in chains Sin held me captive To sorrow and pain Years of frustration As love
We pray you've been blessed by this program. If so, please write and tell us at Sandbeck Ministries, P.O. Box 581, Falston, Maryland, 21047. Or contact us through our website at www.gracenotesradio.com. Join us again on our next program. Until then, let your grace notes be a song of praise.